as I always say, I really, really relish this time that I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And uh, it's so good to be with you. I hope that you are well and um, just appreciate your faithfulness uh, in this uh, prayer opportunity that we have together. As you recall, last month, I um, did a little study. I did part one of a uh, from a chapter in R.A. Torrey's book on uh, how to pray. And this is the little book. I don't know if some of you uh, got that. Um, I don't know if you can't see it too well, but anyway, it's um, How to Pray by R.A. Torrey. Um, it's, um, I would recommend this to you. And um, so one of the chapters in there is uh, called um, the, uh, the Need for Revival. And so we looked at the general need for revival. We gave you some points about that. And then part two today, I want to just go briefly over the second part of it, the results of revival the results of revival. And um, we have, of course, in in our country, the United States, we have heard a lot uh, about revival and its legitimacy in the last several months in in, uh, the news and so forth. And, um, you know, the one thing I would say um, is that God is the ultimate judge as to whether or not a revival is genuine. But uh, there are signs that uh, we can look at fruit that we can examine that would determine whether or not the revival is real. And um, I think that uh, Tori gives us some of those things in this chapter. And so I wanted to share that with you. Um, as you recall, he focuses in on three areas. Uh, the minister, the the world at large, and of course the church, and so we wanted to uh, to again uh, go over those areas as he mentions again. What are the results of revival on those those three? And so before we get into that, though, I want to read a uh, passage of scripture, and I'll have you turn to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. And this might be interesting um, here. Um, I think it is an interesting passage, of course, as we think about the prophet and um, indeed the revival that occurred in his ministry. Um, and I, you know, in reading this, and as you well know, because most of you are very, um, very um, uh, knowledgeable of the Bible, uh, this is, I think, one of the most uh, interesting and ironic um, uh revival records or the history of revival probably in in the in the whole history of the world and uh, so i'll just read the first five verses of chapter three where he says the word then the word of the lord came to jonah the second time saying arise go to nineveh that great city and call out against it in the message that i tell you so jonah arose and went to nineveh according to the word of the lord now Nineveh was an exceeding great, exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so I I think that um as I said, th- this is I think one of the most uh, interesting and ironic uh, revivals uh, in history. It, it is 
interesting because, of course, the comprehensive result uh, of what took place, uh, and as we saw from the greatest of them to the least of them, this is perhaps the the greatest revival in the history of the world. And, and that leads to kind of the irony of it is that this may be one of the very few, if not the only time where the preacher didn't like the results. Um, you know, most preachers, um, some, some are too result oriented sometimes in our day, but this is this is one of the few times where the preacher, he preached, great things happened. He didn't like what happened. Uh, now, of course, we know that later on uh, in the last chapter, uh, it seems to indicate that that he did learn uh, the lesson, that he did learn that um, that others uh, were more important than himself. And he had to learn that he needed to love others more than he loved himself. And the, and and so so eventually he learned it, but not right away. But but the point I want to make it, uh, using this text is that here we see signs of true revival. The greatest of them to the least of them. They put on sackcloth and ashes. And uh, we could say much more about that, uh, but we won't for lack of time today. But there's a lot to that. There were signs that this was genuine. And uh, what a great revival this was. And so... I want to just give you again in these three areas. What are the signs of revival? Uh, first of all, to the minister, number one, they will have a new love of souls, a new love of souls. Uh, or we could maybe even word that uh, they will have a renewed love of souls. Again, something that Jonah lacked initially uh, because he was more concerned about himself than he was others. Uh, they number two, they have a new love for God's word and a new faith in God's word. And um, again, there's that passion that we have to have for the word of God. We have to have uh, uh, the, the 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 love for His word. If we don't, then we will not be able to share it in the way that we ought to. And so I hope again, and I I, I pray that you are praying, Lord. Give me that insatiable thirst and hunger and desire for thy word, for we can do nothing without his word. And so that is a um, uh, an important part, especially for preachers and ministers. Number three, they have a new liberty and power in preaching. And uh, I think that's very true. When we go through our own personal revivals, and some of you preachers and ministers know that, that um, there's there's that that holy boldness and confidence that only God and the Holy Spirit can give us uh, when we have when we have our own personal revivals, uh, as it were. Well, what about the results for the uh, the church? Again, uh, I'll go quickly because we don't have a lot of time. But first of all, a true revival results in the fact that Christians come out from the world and live separated lives. You mean, Pastor Gray, separation is still important? Yes, it is. Uh, I don't think that we can we can read the Bible um, and not come away with the idea that there's going to be moments and there's going to be times where I have to separate myself from the things of the world. And we don't hear as much about that anymore, uh, but perhaps we need to. Um, one of the things that, that I think that, that uh, is one of the big mistakes that churches are making philosophically and theologically is that 
there's this idea that we have to become like the world in order to win it. And God never tells us to do that. Um, and so many churches are trying to win others to Christ. They're trying to evangelize. When they look at the church, they're saying, well, why do I need that? They look the same as I do. And so there has to be a, a, a visible difference between ourselves and the world. Now, that's not ta- that's not saying that we have to be strange or weird or obnoxious. That just means that there has to be a visible difference between us and those who do not know God. And so I think that's important. Um, Christians get a new spirit of prayer. Isn't that interesting? Uh, prayer will be more intense. Prayer will be more common. Uh, uh, again, it, I think one of the sad things in the church today, and you know this all too well, and that is the most unattended service is the prayer service. And that shouldn't be. Um, if prayer is the lifeblood of who we are, then in actuality, it should be the most attended service that we have. And maybe that's why, again, we're crying and we're in desperate need of true revival. Number three, Christians go to work for lost souls and they will begin to not only live it before them, but they will tell it as well. Giving the gospel is always by two means. It's by giving it vocally, verbally, and living it. It's not either or, it's both and. And so I hope that we'll remember that. And here's number four. Christians have a new joy in Christ when there's true revival. You know, um, Christians, um, I I know that uh, this may come as a surprise to many believers around the world, but Christians can be happy and joyful. It's very possible. And we should be. Uh, Of all people, we should be most joyful. Um, I've said to my congregation many times that uh, a verse that's come back to me over and over again uh, in the last uh, few years is that well-known verse, for me to live for me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if I were to sum up that verse, you know what it means? It means that Christians are always, even though it may not seem like it, Christians are always in a win-win situation. Because for me to live in this world presently is Christ. And we live for him. We serve him. We love him. We study about him. Well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well. According to us in our lives, death is not something that we desire. But for the Christian, uh, to die is gain. Why? Because we're in heaven with him for eternity. And so uh, we need to think that way, uh, that Christian, the Christian life is not lose-lose, it's win-win. And so we have that new joy uh, when there's true revival uh, in our hearts. And of course, Christians get a new love for the Word of God as well, as we mentioned, and I hope that's your continuing passion. And then uh, the results for the world at large there's, is twofold. Uh, number one, there's a deep conviction of sin, and then number two, genuine conversion and regeneration. And so many will say, well, the revivals that we've seen, uh, maybe even lately in maybe your country or the United States or whatever, is it genuine and true? Well, yes, if there is a sign or there is a um, there is evidence that there's deep conviction of sin. You cannot have revival. You cannot have true the true gospel going forth 
if sin is never mentioned or talked about. And again, we have a situation, I think, in our own nation of where we're afraid to call sin, sin. Uh, and we're we're compromising those things to the point where the gospel is so watered down, it has no meaning. And so I think we need to we need to start calling sin sin as God would and does in his word. And that will bring about conviction. We don't convict people. The Holy Spirit of God through his word does. And he uses us as instruments for that. And then, of course, genuine conversion and regeneration. If those things are going on, then we have true revival. But those are the results of revival, true revival, when it takes place. And I'll end with a quote from this chapter by R.A. Torrey. He says, if you see something men call revival, a revival, and there is no conviction of sin, you may know at once that it is bogus. It is a sure mark. And so, again, I, I hope that that as I have heard so many times on these prayer calls, that you will continue to pray that we all will for revival. For I think that that is desperately needed. No matter where you're from, no matter where you live, the answer is not politics or politicians or legislation or or economics, my friends, the the real solution, and I know maybe it sounds oversimplistic, but it's not. The real solution is the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the solution. And let's pray. Let's keep on praying to that end. May God bless.